Hello, CFP fans. This is the Biff Man, Mike Long. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Biff Bites podcast. So we've been doing this series of questions and misconceptions on some select CFP exam uh, topics. And I had three I wanted to add to the mix from the insurance uh, category. And as I mentioned before, uh, these are topics that in the last exam cycle we saw uh, maybe higher than average confusion or missed practice questions or mock exam questions, or they didn't quite connect with uh, some of the, the highly testable points uh, of a topic. So I'm just going to share uh, three of those uh, with you in this uh, episode. I want to talk uh, a little bit about the relationship of high deductible health plans to HSAs. And as, as a lot of you know, I'm a big fan of HSAs. There's a whole podcast episode on uh, HSAs. Uh, but I want to focus on this deductible and max out of pocket that I saw some confusion with. I'd also like to touch on uh, basis as it relates to uh, buy-sell agreements. And then the third piece is uh, a couple of points on modified endowment. Uh, contracts. But but again, I'm looking for things that where did I see uh, a high volume of email questions to us at the BIF review and in the practice questions and mock exam um, where, where there were frequent missing of these questions. So, all right. So we know uh, HSAs are great and it's a wonderful tax benefit to be able to deduct contributions uh, into an HSA have tax, uh, worst case scenario, tax deferred earnings on the account. Uh, hopefully they'll ultimately all be tax free because the uh, funds are used for uh, eligible medical expenses. And then the third uh, piece of the trifecta for tax benefits for HSA is that uh, those funds can come out tax free to pay for eligible medical expenses. It's very rare for something to have all three of those deductible or pre-tax contributions, tax-deferred or tax-free earnings, tax-free distributions. That's really rare. Where I saw some confusion, there's no confusion on the numbers from contribution standpoint because those numbers are given in, in tax tables. So that's not an issue. Uh, but where I saw some confusion is, is the relationship with the deductibles and maximum out-of-pockets uh, expenses um, for qualified uh, high deductible health plans. So we're, we're always given uh, the numbers. And again, these numbers, the deductible and max out of pocket will be on the tax tables for the exam. You don't have to memorize them, but you don't have to know how to use them. And I'm just going to use 2023 as an example. You might be listening to this in 2024 or 25. doesn't matter because you're going to have your numbers on the tax tables, but I'll use 2023 as the example. So uh, to be eligible for an HSA, one has to be covered by an eligible high deductible health plan. And for CFP exam purposes, we would be looking at the deductible and the max out of pocket. So for example, in 2023, uh, a, a self-only coverage high deductible health plan has to have a minimum deductible of 1500. Family coverage has to have a minimum deductible of 3000. Now it can be higher 
it that's just the minimum. So the figure for the deductible is a minimum value, but it can be higher. Then in those respective plans, the maximum out-of-pocket amount in this plan for self-only cannot exceed $7,500. And for a family plan, the maximum out-of-pocket cannot exceed $15,000. Now, where the confusion came that I saw in this most recent exam cycle is understanding that that maximum out-of-pocket includes the deductible that the uh, in, insured must must pay. So how does that relate? Let's use the uh, the family as, as an example. So the minimum deductible in family coverage is 3,000. The maximum out of pocket is 15,000. So in a plan that just is right on the numbers, if there's a $3,000 deductible, that means in the out of pocket element, co-pays and so forth, they're going to be exposed to another $12,000, the $15,000 max minus the $3,000 uh, deductible. And here's the catch on, on these kind of exam questions. What if the deductible in the plan is $5,000? That's okay. Some students will say, oh, well, that's not eligible. It's $3,000. Well, that's the minimum. But if it's 5,000, that means that the maximum out-of-pocket exposure cannot be more than $10,000. The $15,000 max minus the $5,000 deductible. So watch for those questions. That's a little tricky because we, we want to disqualify a policy if they have a higher uh, deductible or a lower maximum uh, out-of-pocket. That's the other way this could turn is that 15,000 is the maximum, but it could be lower. So think about that math. Think about that relationship in the HSA type questions. And I think you should be okay with an exam question that tests the application of that. Uh, so hopefully that can clear it up if you had some confusion with that uh, on, our, on our first topic uh, in this episode. Next topic that I saw some confusion with uh, wasn't so much about how cross-purchase uh, agreements funded with life insurance work, but I got more questions on this related to the basis to the, uh, to the holder after the buy-sell agreement has been uh, executed. So for CFP exam uh, purposes, um, the testing has always been either on a cross-purchase uh, buy-sell agreement or um, an entity purchase, stock redemption um, buy-sell agreement. And the unique piece here that I saw some confusion with is, re relates to cross-purchase. So in a cross-purchase buy-sell agreement, each of the owners, and the cross-purchase works best if there's not a lot of owners because the, the number of policies involved gets quite large. But each owner owns a life insurance policy on their respective um, owners, on the other, uh, other owners of the company, in the amount necessary to buy out that fractional uh, piece. So if there's just two owners, each owns uh, a life insurance policy on the other, 
for 50% of the uh, agreed upon value uh, of the business. And the individual owners own and pay for the life insurance on the other respective owners. So at death, and there's a binding agreement, of course, at death, the surviving owner receives the proceeds from the life insurance policy. So they get cash. And then they turn around and use that cash to execute the buy-sell agreement and buy out the decedent's interest in the company. And that's where the basis piece comes in because we have to look at what transpires here separately. First, there's a death and cash comes into that surviving owner. That piece is done. But then they take that cash and buy the decedent's interest and that's why their basis goes up. So the surviving owner's basis will increase by the amount of the, uh, of the purchase, by the uh, life insurance that they used to purchase the decedent's interest. So if that piece was a million dollars, the survivor's basis in that company moving forward, should they ever sell the company, their basis would be their original basis, whatever that was, plus the million dollars of life insurance money that they took and executed the buy-sell agreement. That's a huge differentiation between cross-purchase buy-sell and entity purchase uh, buy-sell. There, there is an increase in basis where there is not in an entity purchase because the surviving owner in an entity purchase buy-sell didn't put more cash in. They don't receive cash from the life insurance policy in an entity purchase. The company does. The company is the owner and payer of the life insurance, and they use the proceeds to then redeem the stock, to redeem the business interest of the decedent, leaving full ownership of the company to the surviving owner or, or owners. So there's no increase in basis under the entity purchase so if sold down the road by the surviving owner, there could be a larger uh, capital gain. But uh, particularly on the side of the cross-purchase, I saw some confusion and understanding how there's a, an increase uh, in the basis. So that was the second topic that uh, I wanted to touch on in this episode. And hopefully that helps you, <laughs> helps you out on your exam question. All right, finally, the third topic that I wanted to talk about in this episode is modified endowment contracts. Now, this is a complex topic in real life. This is complex, and we typically need uh, tax help on this one. However, it's not complex in CFP land for the exam. So on the exam, um, they would have to tell us that it's failed. They're never gonna test us doing the math on whether it failed or didn't fail. They're gonna tell us it failed. And it's a modified endowment contract. And so what that changes is the tax treatment of living distributions from that contract. It doesn't change the tax-free status of the death benefit. That's a good exam question. 
but it does change potentially the tax treatment of living distribution. So what would a living distribution be? Well, that in CFP exam land, that's gonna be a, a loan or a withdrawal. Say from a universal life policy, uh, it might just be a straight up withdrawal uh, or, or it might be a loan. Now this gets confusing because we're taught that loans from life insurance policies are tax free, but that changes if it's a MEC. But the confusing piece here becomes is that the, the taxation is based on the gain that exists in the policy. So if the policy has not reached gain status, meaning that the cash value of the policy is more than the aggregate premiums that have been paid in, then we don't have a gain. But probably in exam land, there's gonna be a gain and you have to know how to treat that. So uh, it, it basically, as you maybe have heard me say, even in the review or in the Bryan education courses, it just flips the tax treatment to be that really the same as an annuity, where in an annuity, distributions are considered earnings first and taxable as ordinary income. That's how it becomes in a living distribution from a MECT life insurance policies. Earnings first, it's ordinary income, and just like an annuity, those taxable earnings would be subject to 10% penalty if this distribution is happening prior to age 59 uh, and a half. But you have to watch out if you're given math in this question, you have to watch out if you're given total premiums paid in and you're given a cash value number You've got to look at that and say, is there even a gain right now in this policy? Because if there isn't, it doesn't matter that it's taxed on a LIFO basis because there's no gain. There's nothing to pay taxes on. So check that map. That's the most common thing that I saw in the exam cycle of students missing a question was they weren't checking the math to see if there was a gain in, in the first place. Keep it simple. Mechs are very complex but not for the exam. You just need to know a couple of basic things and you're gonna get this question right uh, on the CFP exam. So hopefully that helps on this third uh, topic in this short episode of the Biff Bites uh, podcast. And we'll be putting out the remainder in this series uh, shortly. So uh, study on my friends and uh, we'll see you again. Mm -hmm.